As we pause to remember our loved ones who have died this past year, we are reminded that if the Lord tarries, we also will experience death. The Bible declares it and experience confirms it. The scripture says it is appointed unto man once to die. Shelley, the poet, wrote, Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Even though we know that we one day are going to die, we do not like to talk about the subject. John Stott wrote, Persons in the Victorian era had a morbid fascination with death, but never spoke of sex. While our contemporary generation is obsessed with sex, death has become the unmentionable. We don't like to talk about death. I heard about a young man who went to visit his mother in the nursing home. And as he did, he said to her, Mom, we need to talk about the future. Well, she didn't say anything. And then he said, Mom, when you leave this life, do you want to be buried or cremated or what? And she said, Son, why don't you just surprise me? <laughs> we don't like to talk about death. And that is the reason most of us don't make out our wills. We don't buy cemetery plots, any of those things, because that is an acknowledgement that death is real. So today we're going to look at grief through the eyes of Mary and Martha. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord... Behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of, the, of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Then he said after that, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. Well, let's begin with the reality of grief. I heard some time ago of an evangelist whose 21-year-old child died tragically. And he said the struggle is to bring our faith and our emotions together. Now, now that is the struggle for most, most of us concerning death. How can I reconcile how I feel with what I believe? How do I reconcile the feelings that I have as a result of a loss of a loved one with what I claim to believe? 
And see, that was the struggle of the Thessalonians. Some of their loved ones had died, and so they wrote to the Apostle Paul asking him what had happened to them, how they were to respond. And Paul said, well, I don't want you to be uninformed concerning this. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul wrote, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or who have died, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So Paul is saying, I understand that your loved ones have died, and I do not want you to grieve as those who have no hope. He is not saying that we are not to grieve. Because grief is a natural process. We grieve as the result of a loss. But he said, I do not want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Well, how can we do that? How can we grieve and yet do so with hope? Well, first of all, by embracing the certainty of God's Word. Warren Wearsby said, why substitute human speculation for divine revelation. The blood of Christ makes us safe. The Word of God makes us sure. What does the Word of God say about those who die in the faith? Well, the Scripture tells us that the Spirit does not die. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 7, the Bible says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So that's what happens at death. The Bible says that when we die, our bodies turn back to dust from which we came, and our spirit then goes to be with the Lord. Paul wrote in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So that's what the Word of God says. When we die, this body returns to dust, but the Bible says that the Spirit goes to be with the Lord. And through that Word, as we put our faith in the certainty of God's Word, the Holy Spirit then comforts us as a result of that. So then we can have hope even during times of grief because of our expectation of the resurrection. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, laid in the grave, and rose from the dead, the Bible says that because He rose from the dead victorious over death, that we also will be victorious over death. And the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15:22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So then, how, how can I face death and grieve and yet have hope? Because of the expectation of the resurrection that death is not the end, the grave is not the end. And then there's the expectation of reunion. I one day am going to see my loved ones again, those who know the Lord. My father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and so forth. As I was thinking about you who were standing a while ago in honor of your deceased loved one, isn't it interesting that as time goes by, heaven becomes sweeter to us because we have so many of our loved ones there. And you are going to see those who know the Lord again. 
Some of you have husbands there or wives there or children there or parents there or grandchildren there or grandparents there. You see, that's the hope that we have. And and that is the reason that heaven becomes even sweeter to us because of of the expectation of the resurrection, that death is not the end, and the expectation of reunion, we are going to see our loved ones again. So Paul said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know. Well, what are the lessons that we learn from the experiences of grief? Because we do grieve, so what are the lessons we learn? Well, first of all, that there are no exemptions. It has been said about coaches, there are two kinds of coaches, those who have been fired and those who will be fired. There are no exemptions, and there is no exemption when it comes to tragedy. Tragedy happens. In fact, Job wrote, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? What do we get? Because all of his days his task is painful and grievous, even at night his mind does not rest. Folks, we all experience tragedy in life. We all deal with difficulties in life. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, Into each life some rain must fall. I know that Sometimes it seems to us there are those people who are exempt, that they simply do not have the suffering or the tragedy or uh, the difficulties that we do. I think about David, God's chosen king, and his sin. And yet if you study the life of David, his life was a disaster concerning his family. He served the Lord. But as a result of his sin, his life, his family, was a disaster. I think about the Apostle Paul who was so committed to the Lord and prolific in his writings and and bold in his faith and all those things. Paul spent most of his ministry in prison. I think about Timothy who obviously was sick a lot. There are no exemptions. That's one of the things that we learn. There are no exemptions. Secondly, God uses tragic events to get our attention, does He not? C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I I look at the disciples when they were imprisoned and when they were suffering and and, and how their, their faith deepened during that time, how God ministered to them during that time, and they responded in bold and courageous ways during that time. The death of our loved ones also gets our attention. I remember when my father died. He was a young man when he died, but I remember it. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm more interested in the Lord and the things of God. And I think it's partially because of the sense of responsibility I felt at that time because I was the oldest child. You see, a lot of times when grief comes to us, God uses it as a means of getting our attention that we might listen. 
Also, tragedies and grief reveal our imperfection. Sir William Davenant wrote, Calamity is the perfect glass wherein we truly see and know ourselves. How provoking that is. How true it is. I generally don't learn a lot about myself when everything is going good. Do you? But I learn things oftentimes I wish were not true when things are not going so good. But that's one of the things that happens. When we go through times of tragedy in our life, it reveals our imperfections. For instance, as a nation, we can look back at 9-11 and what happened to our nation at that time. But was it not revealing to our nation how far away from God we had gotten? And in the ensuing weeks and months, church attendance increased dramatically. Why? Because all of a sudden we realized how far away from God we had gotten. That didn't last because everything becomes normal again. And we go back to what is normal. But for a while, God got our attention and our imperfection was revealed. Now, we are in a financial crisis within our country. I don't know if crisis is the right word to use. But we are going through some difficulties financially in our country right now and throughout the world. What are we learning from that? What are you learning from that? Well, let me speak for myself and see if this is also true with you. I have learned as a result of this that I had a lot more faith in my bank account than I thought I did. That I had more confidence in my 401k and my retirement and those kinds of things than I thought I did. And the truth is, for many of us, our confidence, our faith was in the money that we had set aside rather than in God where it's supposed to be. And so it's revealing to us as the Lord removes these things that we have trusted, that we have placed our confidence in. When the Lord removes those things from us and we go through those times of difficulty in our life, very revealing to us. When we look at the tragedies of violence in our country, what does it reveal? I'm sure that you, as did I, Watch the news about the student, I I don't remember where he was, an honor student who was beaten to death. Some kind of a gang thing, but this kid was beaten to death and it was filmed. And we watch things like that, the violence that is in our country today and around the world today, and it reveals to us something is dreadfully wrong. Folks, there is something gone wrong in our minds, in our hearts. In our nation. But that's one of the things that we learn as we go through these times of difficulty, as we go through times of tragedy in our life, then it reveals our imperfection. It shows us that something is wrong. It also emphasizes our dependence. Billy Graham wrote, We came out of nothing, and if we are anything, it is because God is everything. If He were to withhold His power, For one brief instant from us, if He were to hold in check the breath of life for one moment, our physical existence would shrivel into nothingness and our souls would be whisked away into an endless eternity. When we go through tragedies in life, it reminds us as to how dependent we are on God. We are dependent on Him for life. 
for life. We are dependent upon Him for the needs that we face. And I know that some of you probably know that better than others. Because you are going through a time of difficulty in your life and some things have been ripped away from you, taken away from you all of a sudden. And now then you are having to wrestle with that fact and learn that fact again. That we are truly dependent upon the Lord. Now the lesson that we learn is that it is a maturing process. I look at the Apostle Paul and see that he spent most of his ministry in prison. But during that time, he was matured. It's interesting to me to read the letters, the epistles of the Apostle Paul, and to know which prison he was in and so forth, and see this maturity that developed in him, the way that he responded to difficulties. And my friend, that's what's to happen. That's what you want to happen. That's what I want to happen when I go through difficult times in life and I face grief and tragedy in life, I want it to be a time of maturing, of growing. C. Everett Koop, former U.S. Surgeon General, wrote, We grow and mature spiritually through adversity, not when everything is going smoothly. In a time of adversity or trouble, the Christian has the opportunity to know God in a special and personal way. Job chapter 23 verse 10 says, When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, that should be our desire. Lord, when I go through tough times in life, when I go through times of tragedy, when I go through times of suffering, Lord, I want those to be times of maturity. I want those to be times of growth in my life so that when I come to the other side, that I come forth as gold. So what are the lessons that we learn? No exemptions. God uses them to get our attention. He reveals our imperfections. He emphasizes our dependence. And He matures us. But even as we go through those days of grief, there is hope because of Jesus. Now look at verse number 22. Martha said, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Jesus gave her hope at that point to overcome her grief. She was a little aggravated at this. She said, Jesus, had you come when we first gave you word, he would not have died. So she was a little aggravated. But then Jesus gives her this word of hope. He is going to live. And then he gave three commands. He said, first of all, remove the stone. When he came to the, to the grave, to the place where Lazarus was buried, Jesus said, remove the stone. And there was the resistance that came from reason when they said, oh, Jesus, you don't want to do that because his body has already begun to deteriorate. Jesus, you don't want to do that because his body is deteriorating and already begun to smell. So there is the resistance that comes from reason. Remove the stone. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I thought about that command many times. And it would have been a cruel command, a cruel joke, except it came from the lips of Jesus. Remove the stone. Lazarus, come forth. Loose him and let him go. But the hope that the Lord gave to these grieving sisters, that's the thing that is encouraging 
And I think about how the Lord gives hope. I, I think about Simon Peter and his need of encouragement. Now, think about Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times, the disciple of the Lord, the one who had stood just a few hours earlier and said to Jesus, Jesus, though everyone else deny you, though everyone else leave you, I will be faithful to you. And then he denied the Lord three times. Can you imagine the guilt that he must have suffered? And then in John chapter 21, when Jesus met with him and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. I've not lived like it, but you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, then feed my sheep. And he restored him to a place of service and the hope that came. I think about David. How David had suffered grief as a result of his sin. He committed adultery. How embarrassing for the man of God. David, the one chosen by God, anointed by God, the one who was nothing but a shepherd boy, and the Lord said, this is the one. This is the one. The only person in Scripture about whom it is said that he is a man after God's own heart. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he was responsible for the death of her husband, Uriah. And then he lied about it. He did all of those things. How embarrassed he must have been. But the Lord gave him hope. You see, David repented in Psalm chapter 51. In fact, I've read and studied that so many times. And if you want to learn about repentance, then go to Psalm 51 and read it. Because when Nathan finally got David's attention and said, David, you are the man who has sinned, David's heart was broken because he had failed the Lord as he had. And so in Psalm 51, he pours his heart out. I was thinking about his repentance there in Psalm 51. Recently, David Letterman confessed his affair. And he confessed it on... on uh, Television, and I, and I was I was sort of comparing in my mind the two confessions, and in comparison to David, one seems like a joke. Now I'm not I'm not judging the heart of David Letterman or anyone else. I don't know the heart, but I know that whenever David came confessing his sin to the Lord, he he is a broken man. He is pouring out his heart before the Lord. And he is pleading with the Lord for forgiveness and restoration and so forth. And God did exactly that. He gave him hope. Folks, that's our Lord. And that is the reason even during times of grief that we can have hope because of Jesus. You who have lost loved ones can have hope even during times of grief because of Jesus. Now let me conclude. Grief is real. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about it. The Thessalonians had written to Paul because their grief was real. And Paul says that we grieve, but is not, not as those who have no hope. Secondly, there are lessons to be learned. My friend, when you go through times of grief, you go through tra times of tragedy, you go through those trying times of life, don't waste them. It's too painful to waste they're too costly to waste. So don't waste. Learn the lessons that God intends for you to learn. And then grief is conquered through Jesus. If you look over at chapter 12, verse number 1, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, 
where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. You see, Jesus gives life out of death, and he gives purpose out of tragedy. You might be experiencing tragedy in your life and difficulty in your life. I just want to say to you today that Jesus Christ is the answer and he is the hope. He'll walk through it with you and you'll be victorious as you walk with him. Our Father in God, we thank you for the promises that you have made, the love that you have demonstrated. I thank you, Father, for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. And I pray for those who are grieved today, facing difficulties today, tragedies today. I pray, Father, that they will receive hope through the Lord Jesus. Lord, we lift to you those who need to trust you as Savior, that they would do so today, and other decisions, commitments that need to be made. May we glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, the... Choir is going to sing. You will stand. And if you're here without Jesus, would you trust Him today? There will be staff members here to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please, as we stand and they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.